Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Bill Telephone Education Series. Um, Dr. Bill Satashima is the Chief of Optometric Services for the Center for the Parsi Sinus, as well as Director of Low Vision Training for Braille Institute. And um, he's partnering with Braille Institute about Braille Institute Child Development Services for this monthly telephone series. The Dr. Bill Telephone Series is an educational program, program focusing on pediatric eye conditions for parents, teachers, and other professionals working with young children with visual impairments. The information presented tonight should not be considered a medical or educational consultation, but information to help us better understand pediatric eye conditions. Thank you all for joining us again. Well, thank you very much, Sue. And -hmm. I want to thank all of you out there for attending this evening. I know on these uh, warm summer evenings, sometimes it could be nice to sit outdoors and have a cup of iced tea, but we appreciate you taking the time to come and learn about how to help children with cortical vision impairment. Now, last month, we had Dr. Christine Roman, who's one of the world's experts in the area of cortical vision impairment, who talked to us about what are some of the common characteristics of children with cortical vision impairment. And one of the things that we learned from that particular program was that cortical vision impairment has become the leading cause of vision impairment among children today. And this is something that's very, very amazing because of the fact that 20 years ago, it wasn't. Now, one of the things that we may ask is, why are there more children with cortical vision impairment? And the main reason for that is the advance in medical technology has allowed these children with these particular types of conditions to survive. We know that CVI is associated with the lack of oxygen. It could be related to brain hemorrhaging, intraventricular hemorrhage, periventricular leukomalacia, hydrocephalus, seizure disorder, and simple injury where a child may fall off of the bed, strike the head, and it can cause that kind of injury to the brain. Now, the reason that this is so important is that we now understand that the brain is where vision takes place. For many, we often think, how can a person have perfectly healthy eyes but not see well? Well, the reason for that is that the eyes are merely receivers of light that sends information to the brain, and it is the brain that does process that type of visual information. Now, Dr. Roman did create a new type of a rating scale, which is very important for us to review again tonight. And in her particular type of rating scale, she looked at many of the common characteristics of children with CBI. One of the things that we have noticed with children with CBI is that, number one, they often have a favorite color. And when they do have this particular type of favorite color, This is something that's very important for all of us to understand because if a child enjoys looking at a particular color, we want to use this characteristic to help the child to look at the things that are in his or her environment. Number two, we know that children with cortical vision impairment often like to look at things that are shiny or they may enjoy looking and staring at a light. Number three... Children with cortical vision impairment often will look at things that are moving and changing and rotating, and some may not look at all if the object is stationary. 
As a result, a child may not look at a mother's face, but if the mother begins to move and walk away, the child may then begin to look. Number four, children with cortical vision impairment often have a latency. And what that means is you could show them a toy or you may show them a light, but it may take them as much as 30 to 40 seconds before they respond to it by either moving their eyes to look at it or by moving their head to look at it. Another feature of CVI is that many children with cortical vision impairment, they do not use their central vision. Rather, they will look and use their peripheral vision. This often makes the parents feel that their child isn't even looking at them when in fact the child is looking, but it's just that the child is using the peripheral vision. We also know that children with cortical vision impairment may not look and reach simultaneously. If they're going to try and pick up a Cheerio or a piece of fruit, these children may begin to look at it and then they turn their head away and then they begin to reach for it and grab it. This disconnection between using their vision and their eyes and hands together is very common with children with CVI. We also know that many kids with CVI, they will have abnormal, what we call visual reflexes. For some, you could bring an object such as a magazine or your hand very quickly towards a child's eyes and they don't blink. They act as though they don't even see it. Or others, you might even tap the bridge of their nose and they also will not blink. So these kinds of visual reflexes are often abnormal. So with these particular types of characteristics in mind, Dr. Roman and her associates, they did create a rating scale. And with these particular types of rating scales, it's very, very important that this type of assessment is performed. The reason that it's so important to perform this type of an assessment is that without doing this, we may only measure a child's vision by A, looking at t tissues, at the tissues of the eye, and B, we may measure a child's visual acuity. But in reality, if we only look at the structures of the child's eyes, we most often will find that the child's eyes are perfectly healthy. Most children with cortical vision impairment have nothing wrong with their eyes whatsoever. Number two, if we then look at their visual acuity, we find that their vision is such that they can identify a certain size object, but we don't know anything about what colors can the child see, how far can the child see, does a child have a specific field in the peripheral vision that they're able to see? We don't know if this child responds better to an object that's moving or stationary. We don't know if this child has the ability to use the eyes and hands together. So all of those different characteristics that we discussed, we want to evaluate each of those characteristics so that we know what is the child's baseline level of vision? And once we know the child's baseline level of vision, we use that information 
during the visual intervention program. And what's really very, very promising about this is that in Dr. Roman's study that was published in the Journal of Vision Impairment and Blindness, it was found that over 90% of the children that were in her study made significant gains of vision such that they achieved what's called phase three level of vision. In her grading scale, the lowest level of vision is phase one, and the highest level of vision is phase three. What's also very, very promising is that these children made this type of improvement in vision in less than four years, and the age of the children it really was not something that was important. And that is something to me that is very, very promising. So here in Southern California, one of the things that all of the agencies we have gotten together and we have really put our brains together to try and develop a regional program throughout Southern California where all the children will be evaluated by the early intervention specialist or teacher for the visually impaired, and these kids will then be referred to low vision optometrists where the low vision optometrist will perform one of the surveys to measure the level of vision, and the early intervention teacher or the teacher for the visually impaired will do another type of a survey. And the second survey that we're referring to is one in which the person could simply make observations when they're working with a child or they could ask the parents questions or they could actually perform specific types of things with the children to determine these levels of vision. What's also great is that both of these types of scales, they correlate very, very well. So if Sue, for example, did the survey questionnaire and our doctors perform the evaluation, we would really find that when you add up the scores of each one, they are very, very close related. And this gives us a lot of validity to the assessment of the vision. And then the kids will then be evaluated at a later date by an independent evaluator, and that person could then determine whether or not that the child has made this kind of gain in vision. So let's go ahead and let's talk about the whole concept of visual intervention. And the reason that I use this term visual intervention is this is what Dr. Roman and her associates call it. Others might call it visual stimulation. Others might call it vision therapy. But I think that the most appropriate term for this will be visual intervention. And the reason that I like this term that Dr. Roman has developed is because Visual intervention, it implies that this is something that's going to be within the child's surroundings and environment, whereas visual therapy seems to imply that we're going to do these exercises for a period of time, maybe 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And we're finding that the reality is a vision therapy treatment of 20 to 30 minutes per week, or even 20 to 30 minutes per day, it is not sufficient to achieve the type of results that Dr. Roman has achieved. The reason that I say that is that this is now, believe it or not, 
it is now the 26th year that I've been involved in working with children with cortical vision impairment. And we did a longitudinal type of study where we followed kids. And what we found is that approximately one-third of the children that we saw who received visual intervention types of treatments through other agencies where they would receive the vision therapy for 20 to 30 minutes per day, those kids, only about one-third of them made significant improvements in vision. Whereas in Dr. Roman's study, where they are actually using a different form of vision intervention, they're finding that 9 out of 10 are making significant levels of vision. And with these particular results, uh, we all have agreed here in Southern California that we really owe it to all the kids that we do our best to provide that type of intervention. So what does this mean when we're talking about the visual intervention? The first way of understanding what visual intervention really would be is to understand that many children with cortical vision impairment, the problem is that they don't look at those objects that we would want them to look at. These kids with CVI, they may stare at a ceiling fan. They may stare at the snow that's on the television at the end of the video. They may stare at the patterns on the wallpaper. But the things that are used in their daily life and the people that they interact with in their daily life, they don't look at them. They don't make eye contact with their parents when their parents waken them in the morning. They don't look at the food that they're reaching for. They don't look at the pictures in a book. They don't look at the toys that you surround them with. And when these kids are even older and they're at school, they don't look at the educational materials that are on their desk. When they're trying to write, they don't look at the pencil and their paper. When they're trying to learn to read, they are not looking with their central vision at the letters. And because they're not using their central vision to look at these important objects in their daily life, they cannot identify it. What's really important for all of you to remember is that it is the central vision, the center region of the eye, that has the capability of seeing the details well enough that we can identify something. When a child uses his or her peripheral vision and tries to look at something, their visual acuity or their detailed vision is much, much blurrier. So we have all heard of 2020 eyesight. The only way that the human eye can identify a detail and give 2020 eyesight is that one must use the central vision. But when you see children who turn their eyes and they look away, they are now using their peripheral retina, and the peripheral retina usually has a visual acuity within the range of 2200 or 2400, and that is the range of being legally blind. So we ask, why is it that these children do not use their central vision normally? Well, 
part of the reason is that the injury or the lack of oxygen or the brain hemorrhage within the brain has affected the connections that are sending information to the central region of the brain. Now, fortunately, there is a phenomenon that's called plasticity, and plasticity involves changes to the brain with time. So, for example, a child or an adult who may have been involved in a car accident or a gunshot wound, it's very possible that the cells that are surrounding those areas can become more functional and the visual function will improve. So for these children with cortical vision impairment early on at birth, they often do not have central vision. Or sometimes their central vision is described as being similar to looking through Swiss cheese. But with time, the neural connections within the brain develop and their central vision can improve. But we need to teach these kids how to use their central vision because they have gotten into the habit of using their peripheral vision. An analogy would be, what if there was a child who didn't have the use of the hands in either the right hand or the left hand? Well, this child might go around and picking up toys by using her feet or using her arms to try to lift something. Even though the child does have the ability to use the hands for the first year of that child's life, the child never used the hands, so the child does not feel comfortable with it, or it is something that is not reflexive. And this is the same thing about the central vision. We want to try to make it reflexive for the child to use the central vision. So the first phase of visual intervention is we want to help and teach these kids to look at the appropriate objects. I don't want them to look at ceiling fans. I don't want them to look at mini blinds. And I don't want them to be staring at their fingers as they wave their fingers in front of their face. We want them to look at your face. We want them to look at their clothing. We want them to look at their pillows. We want them to look at their utensils that they're going to be eating with. And we want them to look at the toys that are in their environment. So the first phase of the visual intervention is to simply try to encourage the child to look at those normal, everyday activities. Those things and those objects that you use in these daily activities are what we're trying to teach the child to look at. As a result, there is no need there is no need for parents and teachers to think that the visual intervention means they're going to be shining flashlights in the child's eyes or they're going to be using the light box and just hold it right in front of the child's eyes or that they have to use different colors and just shine these colored flashlights into the child's eyes. It's much, much easier what we're going to be doing in the visual intervention. What we're going to do is that in the first stage of visual intervention, we're going to take the information from the rating scale and we're going to look at those particular types of parameters and now design the visual intervention program. The first step 
for the children who have the lowest level of vision is to modify the environment of that child. We want to modify every part of the places that this child attends or is going to be involved in throughout that entire day so that it contains those characteristics that the child is interested in. So what do I mean by that? Let's say, for example, we have a child with CBI, and this is a child who is six months old and, again, doesn't look at the appropriate things. But through our evaluation, we learn that this child loves the color red. We could ask the parents, does your child seem to like a particular color? Yes, loves to look at red things. Number two, we then find out that the child prefers to look at moving objects rather than stationary. Number three, this child likes to look at things that are presented right directly in the lower visual field. But when things are in the straight-ahead visual field, the child doesn't really look at things. Number four, this child likes to look at these particular types of objects that also have a light with it. Number five, the child likes to look at things that also are associated with a light, such as a pen light. So we look at all of those factors that we performed or the doctor performed on that evaluation, and we keep in mind all of those things that we know that the child does like to look at. Now that we know all the things that the child likes to look at, we are going to use those characteristics and we're going to decorate the areas that the child is going to be placed in with these characteristics. Once we know these characteristics of what the child really likes, we then want to go ahead and modify the environment the child's going to stay in so that it has all of those characteristics the child likes. So we're going to start first with the child's bedroom. One of the things that we would like to recommend is that we're going to perhaps use a red pillowcase. If we know that the child's favorite color is red, let's go ahead and use a red pillowcase so that the child will perhaps recognize that this is a child's crib. We could also use a red blanket, and we could even use red electrical tape. You could find red electrical tape at the 99-cent store, and we could place a stripe along the edge of the baby's crib that is going to be red. Or you could use paint if you prefer to use paint. So each time that the child goes inside her room, she'll be able to be seen her crib because she's attracted to that color of red. Now, when the baby wakes up in the morning, one of the things we want to do is we want to turn on the lights in the room or open the drapes so that there's light in the room so the child could see. You want to then call your babies by his or her name, and then we're going to ask the dads, let's put on a red snow cap or let's go to the fabric store. Fabric stores are great about giving away remnants of fabric. 
put the red fabric around your neck or it could be a scarf or anything like that that's red. And as you're waking up your child, your child will be attracted towards looking at your face because you do have this red scarf or the red snow cap. Once your child then sees you, you then want to move from side to side because we also learn that your child is interested in looking at things that are moving. We could always carry a little pen light with us if we like because we also know that the child likes to look at the pen light. We could flash the pen light on and off, position it so that it's right near our eye level. So the child's going to be looking at your face along with the pen light as you're moving from one location to another. So this is a great way to help your child to begin to make that type of eye contact and to associate your face with your sound of your voice. Then what we're going to do is let's go ahead and do more visual intervention as we're going to dress our child. Maybe we're going to buy our child a red and white striped T-shirt and tell your child, okay, let's put on your new T-shirt, take off the old dirty one, get the new one, and we're going to move it to the right side, to the left side, move it up, move it down, and position it so that it's in the child's lower visual field because we know that that's the strongest visual field for this child. Allow the child to feel the T-shirt with his or her hands and then go ahead and put the T-shirt on. We could then do the same thing as we're putting on the child's pants and socks and talk to your child, explaining to your child what you're doing. We're putting on your T-shirt. Now we're putting on your pants. So your child begins to associate the words with these particular types of objects. And again, we could use the pen light with the shirt or with the socks as we're getting the child dressed. Next, we're going to take the child out of the crib. We're going to take the child into the bathroom to go and wash her face. Now, we could do the same sort of thing by making the bathroom such that things in the bathroom are going to be visually stimulating. So the first thing that we usually do in the bathroom is to turn on the light. Well, you could actually paint the switch cover plate for your light switch. If we make that red, your child's going to be attracted to the red cover switch. And then you could turn the light on, off, on, off. Because we know that this child likes looking at lights. We know that the child likes things that are changing and moving. And this is a way that we grasp the child's attention. Next, we could have a red face cloth and we could go ahead and put it under water in warm water. And then we could bring it closer to your child's face after your child follows it. Bring it from the lower field because her vision is best in the lower field and begin to wash her face. After we do that, we could go ahead and use another cloth and we could play peekaboo. We could put the cloth in front of your child's face, cover her face, remove the cloth so that she sees your face, and you could play the big game peekaboo. You could also position your child in front of the mirror from a distance of about 12 inches, and then we could swing her away from the mirror. 
and then back to the mirror and away so that the child gets this kind of visual stimulation from an object, seeing her face and then not seeing it, seeing her face and not seeing it. So again, we're using the fact that we have her dressed in red, we're moving her, we're turning lights on and off, and we're using all of those attributes that we know are very, very interesting to her. Next, we could take her and we could take her to the kitchen where it's going to be time for breakfast. Now, if your child is drinking from a bottle, we could do a few things with a bottle. Some people will just simply use a red cloth or red towel and wrap the bottle and do the same thing. Before we feed her, we're going to move the bottle a couple of times. We're going to turn on the pen light and position it in the lower field of gaze and let her hold on to the bottle as you assist and let her drink the milk. Other people will be a little bit more aggressive. I've had parents who have actually even used food coloring, put a couple of drops of food coloring in the milk so that in the clear baby bottle, the milk is now red, and we move the bottle from one place to another. For those kids who are eating either pureed foods or solid foods, we could also use the factors that we learned before by making a placemat that is red. We could do that by using red poster board and have it laminated. Or, again, we could use a red towel, put it on the high chair, and then what we're going to do is we're going to place a white plate on the red placemat. So now we have a white plate that's on top of a red placemat, and then we could put the different types of food. Maybe we're going to mush up some strawberries so it's red, white, and then red so the child could then see it. Or we're going to have other types of contrasting colors that are going to be on the plate. You can go to the 99-cent store, and why not get a red sippy cup? or we could get a red spoon, or we could get other types of red utensils. We could get red and white checkered napkins. So you see the point that we could even make the activity of eating become a visual intervention task. Now, after we have fed the baby and we need to burp the baby, we could do a couple of different things. Maybe we're going to use a red and white checkerboard or red and white polka dot blanket or a towel over our shoulder as we're going to burp the baby. We could also burp our baby next to a sliding window or just a window at home and we could affix colored cellophane on that particular window so when the morning sun comes through, your child will be visually stimulated as she is looking through the colored stained glass appearance of the window. After the baby has burped and you're going to now have to take a shower and do the dishes, we could place the baby on the floor or in a car seat, and then we could use a few different options. We could put the baby in front of a television screen, and we could make certain that we're going to have appropriate videos such as baby Einstein or baby Mozart. We could also place the baby in front 
of a computer, and we could simply use the screensavers, turn on different screensavers that are changing. A lot of kids like this, or if you have an iPad, there's many different types of applications that could be very stimulating to the child. Another possible idea is that you could create a toy bar. And this is a bar that is just made out of PVC pipe. You could buy this pipe so affordably at Home Depot or Lowe's, and you could put this gym together, and you could then position it over your baby or over the baby's car seat, and you could suspend things from that bar. So, for example, if the child really likes to look at things that are red, you could find uh, Sesame Street characters are really good because if your child likes red, we have Elmo. If your child likes yellow, we have Big Bird. If your child likes green, we got Kermit and so on and so forth. So you might find that there might be stuffed animals or there could be plastic toys of these characters that you know you throw into the bathtub and we could suspend those using fishing line which is very durable, from that toy bar. Or if you choose to, you could use elastic. Other people like to use elastic so your child can grab it and it's going to stretch and go back and forth. You could also make your own mobile very, very easily. One way of making a mobile is to simply use some of your old compact discs. You know, you could buy these compact discs from the store, or if you have compact discs that are scratched, go ahead and use those and use the spray paint and paint one half of the CD red or whatever is your child's favorite color and suspend that using the fishing line so there's a mobile and as it spins, the child will be very, very stimulated. You could also use different types of soda bottles if your child likes red, maybe get a 20-ounce Coca-Cola soda bottle. And what you could do is keep the cap to it, unscrew the cap, drill a little hole into it, and feed the fishing line through it and draw, uh, make a very large knot. Then you could put the cap back on the bottle, tie the other end of the fishing line to the gym, and then the mobile will be bound uh, the bottle will be moving back and forth as your baby is going to look at it or touch it and other things that you can do if you happen to have a portable fan you could have a fan that's blowing air from behind your child and these items in the mobile are going to then be moving so as you could see you can do a lot of visual intervention activities just in the day-to-day -day activities that your child has to do. Now, maybe after you finish taking your shower and doing the breakfast dishes and such, you want to take your child for a walk. Well, you want to also make the stroller that your child's going to be in be visually stimulating. If we keep it the conventional colors and we don't have the toys that have those characteristics that your child likes, your child probably won't look at anything. So inside the stroller, if you're going for a walk, you may again suspend a favorite toy. 
What's really important that Dr. Roman reminded all of us is that many children with cortical vision impairment, they do not like new toys. Novel or new toys are things that they often will not look at. So it's fine, perfectly fine, that we use the same Elmo day in and day out. Or maybe your child just likes a red pillow. That is fine, that your child likes that same object as long as your child is looking at it and using his or her vision appropriately. As you're going for a walk and you come to something that is really very visually stimulating, maybe a red rose, or maybe we're getting close to the red stop sign, you know, take your baby out and let your child see it. Let your child interact and maybe even touch the rose petals. You could do the same sorts of things as you're doing other errands that you need to do. If you're taking your child in the car seat, let's create an environment in the car so that when your child is lying in the car seat, there's something for your child to see. You could, again, use these colored fabrics and put them on the backs of the seat so when your child is looking straight ahead, your child just doesn't see that blue cloth but it will be the red and white fabric that your child likes so much. You could, again, bring in those same toys that you had on the toy bar and bring those into the car. You could use Velcro, if you like. Have the Velcro strips and attach those particular toys to the seat so the child could see it. Other times, if your child really likes the videos, you can use videos in the car as well. When you go into the grocery store, again, make this a visually stimulating event. If you're going down the cereal aisle and you see a special K, for example, and it's got a big red letter K, bring your child close to it or bring the box closer to your child at the distance that your child's able to see it the best and let your child interact with it. So all in all, these are really just a few examples of how you would modify the child's environment so that no matter where the child is going to be or wherever it is that you take your child, you're going to be able to show your child different things that meet those attributes, those characteristics. And when you do go to places... You could go to places such as the 99-cent store, and you could find a lot of other really, really nice toys that are very visually stimulating. One of the things that is very, very helpful is to talk to other parents and other teachers for the visually impaired who are very, very creative. Uh, One of the specialists that we had at Braille Institute before she retired was Caroline Clark, and she was so creative in using household items to make these visually stimulating toys that the kids liked, and these are things that you also can do. So some of the things that we do feel are are very, very helpful types of toys are slinky, you know, the toy, the slinky, that's like a wound-up spring of coil. Well, those are often available in different colors, and you could just hang it, and it might bounce up and down. The kids like it. 
And as the kids begin to use their hands, it's a way that they will look at their eyes and their hands together. We also will use things such as mylar balloons. And these are those reflective balloons. They sort of look like metal in some ways, and usually one half of it's silver and the other part's red. Well, you could have a mylar balloon, and you might position that in your child's room or maybe in the play area that your child usually will remain when she's at home. You could also use other types of toys. Some of the toys that we find to be really very helpful is that we will use two-liter soda bottles, and we will wrap it with striped wrapping paper. So if you could imagine having a red and white striped pattern, or you could make your own just by using 8.5 by 11 sheets of paper, getting a red marker, and you could draw stripes that are about an inch wide. So you could have red, then white, red, then white throughout the whole paper. Wrap that around a two-liter bottle. You could put a ball or marbles inside the plastic two-liter bottle, tighten the cap so tight that the child could never open it, and if you roll it along the floor, this is something that children like to look at. Many children will then try to crawl after it. We also will use these types of two-liter bottles. Sometimes what we do is we will put a roller inside there, and then it could spin, similar to what's called the optokinetic nystagmus drum. And that is something that is very, very stimulating for the kids to follow as well. We could also find other things at the store. Uh, plastic utensils, the type that you use at a picnic. You could get some that are multicolored and let the kids go ahead and begin to sort them by color. We could find at the store different types of storage containers. These are like Tupperware. And we could also find kitten balls. And these are like glittery types of toys that then the child would then put inside these Tupperware types of boxes. We also find that there's many other types of toys that you'll find. There are pinwheels, and these are sort of a reflective type of thing that you blow and they spin. And because of the motion of it, children with cortical vision really, really like that. I have found at the 99-cent store and bicycle stores, they have reflectors. And these are red reflectors that will blink on and off, on and off. And you could attach that to different types of stuffed animals or other cars or toys that your child likes, and it will draw your child to visual attention. Now, one of the things that many of you may have read is that many children with cortical vision impairment have seizures, and you don't want to use strobe lights or flashing lights. But if you're using a light that's going to flash on and off, on and off, or blink on and off like a Christmas light, that is fine. But if it's flashing at a rate of what we call 60 hertz, 60 cycles per second like a strobe light in a disco, those are the things that can cause uh, the seizures to develop. So we do have a list. We have a list of, of toys 
and and different types of materials and things that you can use as you're going to work in modifying the environment for your child. We also see there there may be some families that maybe even trying to purchase things from the 99-cent store can be difficult. And we have found that if you go to places and you ask, like, the fabric stores, the House of Fabric or Joann's or Michael's, and you explain to them the situation that your child has a vision problem, they're very, very generous in giving you remnants of fabric, poster board. We could make an area of the house much, much brighter by using white poster board in a corner. That will brighten the home, making it bright enough that the child could then see. Or other times we will then use neon fluorescent poster board and we could cut different patterns and affix that to a white poster board to make it visually stimulating. Now, the next phase of visual intervention is when we will then actually be more active, meaning that we're going to use other types of toys as we're working with the child. This might be where we might use that pinwheel, or maybe there's a particular type of a toy or a car that your child likes, and we're going to move it from one location and then to the next, and we're going to do different little exercises to make your child look before they're going to reach for that. So let's say that your child loves the color yellow and loves to look at yellow school buses. Well, one of the things that we could do is that we could use a yellow school bus, and rather than just giving it to our child, let's move it two, three, four, five times so that your child then has to follow it with his or her eyes. We could then go ahead and attach a string to it and roll it away from your child so your child then has to use the motor skills as well as the vision together. So in these particular types of stages, we are then going to use other types of things that are going to involve the use of the vision and the hands or other senses together. This is where we use the iPad, and there's many different types of applications. We have um, a list of applications I know that Laura Campagna from Junior Blind has a list of applications. Uh, uh, Sue Strafasi from Braille Institute has one. So if this is something that you're interested in, uh, you could contact any of these people, and we'll give that information out at the end. Well, we do have a list of the toys. We have the list of the iPad applications. And during the time that we're going to be using the iPad or other types of cause and effect toys, We are now working on cause and effect to help the children to know that by looking at something, they could cause something to happen when they use their eyes and hands together. We will also, in the later, more advanced phases of the visual intervention, we will also include clutter. We will put the toys and other objects on a colored very, very complex background to try to help the child to learn to focus and to locate those objects that they like on a crowded background. This is a skill that is going to help the child to find mom or dad's face within a crowded background as well. We also will then include different sounds, 
for example, we may begin to turn on a radio very, very softly in the background as a child is looking and reaching and playing. But then as a child gets better at being able to use vision, while we have the background music, we could increase the background music to see at what level is the child still able to use her vision until we find that the child cannot do it because the background music or the background noise is distracting. We will then begin to perform more and more activities that involve eyes and hands together. So, for example, we talked about before that some children with CVI, they turn their head away when they're going to reach for something. And let's say that this child loves to eat bananas. We could slice bananas. We could then put the bananas on a plate that is the color red because the child likes red. And we're going to encourage the child to reach for it. Well, the child will probably look at it with her central vision. And as soon as she begins to reach for it, she will probably turn her eyes away and use the peripheral vision to guide the hands. Well, what we will then do is we will quickly, very quickly, move the plate away so that when the child is reaching and comes up empty, the child will then wonder what happened, and the child will move her eyes back to locate where is the banana, and the child will then begin to use the central vision more effectively. So this is a phase when we're working on the eye and hand coordination that sometimes it looks like you're being a little bit cruel, but you're basically teasing the child two or three times to get them to begin to look. We also will do this when the child wants something. We will encourage the child to look at your face and try to begin to read facial body language. If you're saying no and shaking your head no, or if you're shaking your head yes, we want to encourage the child to look at your face. Because as we all know, there's many times a child might say, can I have my toy? I want my toy. And they never look at you, and you just give them the toy. If they are asking for something, we are going to delay and not respond until they make that type of eye contact and they then learn to communicate by using visual communication. So overall, these are just a few of the different types of strategies beginning from the very earliest phase. And as the child progresses, the doctor who is working with your child will then make modifications to the activities that are going to be performed. Also, I want you to remember that there are many teachers and early intervention specialists that work with children with CBI who also perform these types of assessments, and they will make these particular types of recommendations. But there's many, many other types of activities that are available. And again, these are activities that maybe involve tossing red poker chips on the ground to encourage a child to look at the floor when he or she is walking. Or we might use other types of things that we just find around the house. 
We might use socks and tie socks up into a knot, and we might hide them around the house to make the child search for them to help the child to learn to use vision while he or she is moving. So the activities are very, very, very basic. You could be as creative as you can and incorporate it into the daily activity so it doesn't become like an exercise such as aerobics, okay? This just means that we are modifying those things in the daily environment to make it so that the child will enjoy looking at it. And as your child progresses, we may then incorporate higher level things such as the little room or using colored blocks and teaching the child how to match blocks and match letters. So at this time, we have about 15 minutes left, and what I'd like to do is open it up to questions, discussion, and I would really, really like to hear some of the suggestions that all of you have. I know that uh, a lot of you folks from the junior blind and multiple disabilities Blind Children's Learning Center, Braille Institute, you folks are actually going into the homes and providing the visual intervention. So you guys also have a lot of other things to add. So uh, let's go ahead and open it up to any comments or any questions. Sue? Uh-huh. Um, well, one thing I was going to suggest, Dr. Bill, is just in terms of home visiting, one of the things that we can do in terms of modifying environment is kind of carry along our little portable assessment kind of kit to modify the environment. And one of my favorite things is getting a piece of big piece of felt that I have found at IKEA that's about $3, and it covers a really wide area of, I think it's probably like a four, you know, two-by-four-inch kind of area. So it's pretty good size. Or just getting a big piece of fabric from Joanne's or something and placing that on the um, carpeting area where you might be on a home visit. So you get, so you have a little area that you can always modify. And it's something I think a lot of our families have kind of taken to heart, too, and they've found that they just sort of use that when they move from home to if they go to visit a friend's house or something like that. They have that piece of fabric. Um, it's, not, it's nothing new, but I think it's something that's really um, kind of helps to immediately modify the environment so you can just... So it takes away some of the visual clutter that might be on the background. And then, um, obviously, I think it's really important to have that slinky and and that pom-pom that are the color that the, the child's anchor color is always really important uh, if the child does prefer that, you know, one color of red or that, or, or that color of yellow to have those things in your possession. Um, and then I also really like having a black... Uh, big black plastic bowl in my assessment kit and some white whiffle balls. Because, again, I think it, if you're working on um, putting things in and out of a container, the um, it, it does provide some good cause and effect because when you, when you drop the ball in the, in the, in the, um, in, in the, in the, Ball, you have a kind of an automatic resonance as well because you have a sense of vibration and sound as well as visual um, kind of um, response, visual interest. Hopefully, so those are the few things that I happen to like in my in my kit. But I think what you've said tonight really, I think, is 
if any of us even did half of those things, many of these children would be, uh, they'd be really be encouraged to use their vision. Yeah, you. you know, those are such great ideas, Sue. And, uh, you know, your idea of the felt, you know, many of you may be aware of what's called the flannel board, and you basically could use felt, and then you could cut shapes. And as a mm-hmm. child is learning to sit independently and beginning to reach, you could use your child's favorite color felt, and you could cut circles or squares or triangles or what have you, and the child could then swipe them and grasp them or just swipe them off the board. And it's a really, really, really good activity. But, you Mm -hmm. know, Sue, as you're just talking about, you know, these are really easy things that you could carry with you from one home to another, and Mm -hmm. uh, they're things that maybe uh, relatives have it or friends have it, and you just go to anybody's house and you could find some really good things. And they say, what are you going to do with that? Oh, it's for (laughs) my work. We're stimulating the brain connections. <laughs> and they... Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's like, I know it, it sounds it sound, seems so innocent, but truly these are these can be really um, the, the, these materials can have a, a have a lot have a different lifespan later. They can move in. Not only can they be visually interesting, and they become help with a visual directed reach. And um, I, again, it's just a matter of finding uh, understanding the child, observing. Um, and the other thing I find is really important, too, is when you're doing the assessment and you're doing initially, you're meeting a child for the first time, obviously all, this, all the information a parent can, get, can give you is so critical in your being able to find those preferential uh, periods, preferential things a child is going to be, you're going to be able to build on. And even your own, your, your own demeanor, um, you know, wearing something very solid color when you're doing your assessment, if you're coming in with a brightly colored shirt on or something like that, that may be very distracting and the child may not be able to focus on you at all. But if you have a black shirt or a white shirt or something that's multi, you know, solid color, um, at least they're not competing with the child at that point. Yes. And, you know, one of the things when Sue and I, we were talking about uh, Mm -hmm. tonight's presentation, one of the things that we were a little bit concerned about, and we want to really emphasize to all of you, these recommendations that that we have shared with you tonight, uh, we don't intend for you to go and do every one of these things with your child today. You know, you might just only work on the baby's crib this week. And next week, you're going to start to incorporate some of these strategies when you're at the dining room table, because it sometimes could be so overwhelming if we are listing dozens and dozens and dozens of activities and interventions. Sometimes it makes parents uh, a bit overwhelmed. So remember, these are just a few ideas and you could implement these, you know, uh, one one thing at a time. Does anybody else have any other suggestions that they would like to share, comments, or questions? Hopefully quick and easy question. My son does not seem to have a color preference. He definitely has CBI and has been diagnosed, and fortunately his vision is improving. But what is our starting point for adding all these great things if he doesn't have a color preference? Yeah, that's a great, great question. And if you find that your son, he will look at red and green and blue and yellow, what that really means is that his level of color vision 
has developed to a level that it's, quote, normal. So in his particular case, we don't necessarily have to start with everything red, 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 or everything blue, blue, blue. You could use multiple colors, and so you could have Elmo and Big Bird and, you know, uh, all of the different characters of different colors. So that's actually a good sign that he doesn't show a strong preference just for one color. Does that, does that, uh, do you have any other questions? Does that make sense? That's terrific. Thank you very much. That's good news. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, next question. Yes, please. Love to hear it. Thank you. So my daughter, she's um, seven, and she has CBI. She used to see you a long time ago, and she had early intervention with Braille in San Bernardino County, and so we knew a lot of how to work with her and stimulate her vision. So, of course, we've seen progress over the years now. Time has gone by, but what we've seen to help is that a lot of times people around us, friends and family who we come into contact with, especially if the lighting's bright or, you know, they think, oh, she's sleeping or, you know, she won't focus on them at first. And so we've really taken the time to try to educate the people around us and really explain to them, oh, well, no, she's not asleep, actually. It's the lighting. And the lighting's really bright, so it's coming down on mm-hmm. her. So we've even had physical therapists. When Serenity's in her session, they'll turn the lights down at one of her previous units. They would turn her mm-hmm. lights down while she's in that therapy session. And then you know, other people, friends and family, who are even just trying to understand just her um, cerebral palsy and all that with her vision, when we explain to her how she can see things and what she can see, they didn't really take the time to kind of come in and come down to her level and they get in her face and they say, hi, Serena, and she just lights up. And when people do that and they, they see that response from her, they want to do it all the time. So we found that explaining CVI to those around her is really helpful as opposed to sheltering or, you know, just letting people assume, you know, she's sleeping or something and she's not. So. <laughs> Wow, that's Great. really that's really such an important point because you as a parent know how we can help her to use her vision better and it's so important for you to tell the teachers, the therapists, the friends, everybody because yes, it could be too bright or it could be too dark. So thank you. That is a very very great point. You know, and at this time, you know, unfortunately we're we're out of time, but I want to thank all of you for joining us this evening. And I'd like to share with you a few uh, email addresses. If you would like to have a list of toys that we use for visual stimulation or you would like a list of iPad applications, um, i give you a couple of names and email addresses. Uh, one, you may contact Tori Schladen, S-C-H-L-A-D-E-N, and her email address is Tori, T-O-R-I-S, at low-vision.org. Tori S at low-vision.org. And Sue Strafasi, and it's S-S-T-R-A-F-A-C-I at brailleinstitute.org. And if you would also like to see a, a really wonderful DVD that shows how they used the iPad, uh, you could also get that through the Junior Blind. And that is with Laura Campagna. 
and her email is alcampagna, C-A-M-P-A-N-A, at juniorblind.org. So, Sue, I thank you very, very mm-hmm. much for uh, putting this event together oh. this evening, and I want to thank, thank Mr. You. Joe Yurka for engineering it. The podcast, to share with others or listen again, it will be available at Airs LA. That's www.airsla.org and also at brailleinstitute.org. And next month, what is going to be our topic for next month, Sue? Well, next month, uh, we're going to be talking a bit about preparing for your child's eye exam. And I think it will be another uh, great opportunity for you to kind of give us some more some, inf- some information from the doctor's perspective. Again, how can we help? How can we best be um, best to p- prepare for those exams? Okay, great. Well, again, we thank all of you for joining, and we'll see you next month. Bye bye. Good night.